0: Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today, we have Jeff Smart, co-author of New York Times' best-selling book, Who? The A Method for Hiring. Jeff is also the chairman and founder of GH Smart, a leadership consulting firm. In his book, Who? Jeff Smart, along with co-author Randy Street, provide a single, practical, and effective solution to what The Economist magazine calls, and I quote, the single biggest problem in business today, unsuccessful hiring. What I like to call a mishire instead of an a-hire. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Jeff, why are we still talking about this? There's assessments. There's consultants. There's books. And yet, day after day, we misfire instead of a-hire. Why is that?
1: Yeah, uh- no one teaches you how to hire well. So it's, this is the, the grand irony. Um, Peter Drucker, far back as a half century ago, was pointing out that half of all hiring decisions end in failure. Half, like right? 50% failure rate in hiring. If, if you define that as a year later after you hire a person, do you regret having hired them or not? Um, and so over the last 50 years, what's happened? Well, the, the world of industrial psychology has uh, done tons of studies and scholars have done tons of work. Um, However, in the real world here, in the practical world, there hasn't been a real consensus view on what best practices are. You don't take classes in hiring in high school. You don't take classes in hiring in college and uh, there are only a couple even business school programs today who teach hiring. So I don't blame people for being bad at it, uh, but fortunately now there is a solution and it works. And so uh, my hope and goal is through this program and through our, our speakings and, and writings that we get the word out.
0: You say that you, know, you don't blame people for not being able to get it right. We're not trained on it. But at right. the same time, isn't hiring like the number one responsibility of a manager?
1: Yeah, we're just sort of figuring that out, I think, as a, as a business community. I was, I was in an airport the other day, and I saw you know that new book by Google chairman Eric Schmidt, uh, how Google works. In it, he says hiring talent is the number one topic in, in business. Uh, one of my favorite other business people, Richard Branson, in his new book, it's like his fifth book on Virgin, right, something in it, he, he very specifically says hiring is the number one skill you can have. As a manager at Harvard Business School, I just saw two months ago, came out with a new study from CEOs. The top topic, uh, what, what's most important for, for success, hiring. And then uh, the conference board I saw about three months ago came out with a global study of what's on, on business leaders' minds. Number one on the list of like 70 different topics was hiring, and that was true in five of seven regions around the world. So I think today we're getting it. hey, this is really, really important, whereas I think we went through a period of time where we were fascinated with strategy, everything was strategy, 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 uh, a period of time where we were fascinated with finance and financial engineering, period of time when we're fascinated with like execution and just sort of operating excellence. But I really do think we've entered the era of talent.
0: Why is talent the leading topic today?
1: It seems like other tools or mindset haven't fully solved the problem. So, and it just kind of makes a lot of sense to me. So if you have a business that's not doing well, you can change the strategy. You could try to change, you know, the pricing or the lean management or or lean it out. These are all partial solutions, I believe. Uh, But if you, if you don't have the right talent, nothing works well. And if you have the right talent, it can figure out how to make how to make anything work well. So I think it's just sort of an evolution of consciousness that the fundamental driver of performance is talent, and that talent manifests into excellence and strategy and finance and operations, sales, etc.
0: So Jeff, the book was published several years ago, correct? Yes. And still, you were telling me that it's what, number one on Amazon?
1: Yeah, I was I check it compulsively as an author. It's kind of embarrassing to look at your your book sales daily, but but I do. And, uh, and I just checked it for you before this, uh, and it is the top selling book on talent on Amazon today, and it's been most days since it uh, was published seven years ago. So we're very proud. It, it is it's considered the top selling. What is the top selling book on the topic? And it's also I believe won the most awards um, business book of the year in Canada when it came out. Top five. In China, the Mandarin version of it, and then it was a New York Times, you know, Wall Street Journal, Business Week bestseller uh, here in America. But the fact that it's still number one on Amazon today tells me that we're on to something because it's you know uh, hundreds of people every week are buying this thing, and they seem to get value from it.
0: So obviously, you hit a responsive chord. So yeah. I want you to go back in time uh, several years ago, and you had just published the book, mm-hmm. right? now several years later during that gap of seven years what's the biggest thing that surprised you about this book
1: uh let's see the biggest thing that's surprising about the book is people from far away places have heard about it read it bought it for their teams have implemented the principles and and it's really worked well so i guess the surprise is the the reach you know so uh, entrepreneurs in the Middle East will email me, yeah, hey, bought your book a number of years ago. We, we've used it. Our, our hiring's worked out a lot better. Thank you so much. And that's just, that's really cool. I, I, that's really fun. It gives me goosebumps. Um, there's an entrepreneur in, in uh, Vancouver, Canada, who had a building supply company. They just sort of wholesaled building supplies, like nails and, you know, tile and stuff like that. Um, after reading the Who book, his name was Jeff Booth. He he's been agreed to let me mention his name. So I'm mentioning it. And uh, after reading the Who book, he realized he really didn't have the right team. So he asked himself the question, you know, do we have the right people who are on the team? And the answer is no. Um, so he moved some folks around on his team but brought in a whole new skill set, a whole new slate of folks. Anyway, the guy, you know, is this. Entrepreneur in Canada built his business from twenty million in revenue to over a couple hundred million in revenue over four years, and, and he really credits the bringing in of the new talent and the using of the who approach uh, to his success. He invited me to actually come out and hang out with his family at his lake house, and it was just kind of fun, you know, seeing him and his family, you know, very very proud of this business he had built, and I just I felt very proud that the uh, the principles in the book were useful to him.
0: Yeah, you're able to help him fulfill his dreams.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And, oh, and here's another cool thing, Jim. Um, he said he spends more time with his family now, and, and he's making more money and more impact than he was pre-who. And I think that's a fallacy. A lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders think, oh, if you're you know, running a bigger company or a more successful company, it's just going to suck up all your hours in the day. Well, that's not true if you have a great team, right? Because if you have a great team, you can rely on them and, and take more time, in, in Jeff's case to head out to the lake house and spend some good R&R time with your family.
0: Absolutely. Okay, in your book, uh, we said in the introduction, a simple and practical guide, which I found to be true. And I found some interesting chapters here. Uh, I call them the, the four S's. Yeah. Because <laughs> you have I uh, I don't know if you call them that, but you got scorecard, yep. source, select, and sell. And i want to talk about scorecard for a second because it's been my own experience. That's, that's one of the things that's really lacking. People don't have a scorecard by which they measure their candidates against. So talk about what you mean by scorecard.
1: Sure. So a scorecard is just a set of criteria. And this concept, Jim, I think works equally well for hiring and picking people as it does for picking anything. Example. Just yesterday, um, the woman I'm dating was thinking about getting a uh, buying a house, and was asking me to look at a link. And I and I said, okay, well, you know, the house looks wonderful, but uh, you know, what are what's your scorecard? And she thought for a moment, and then came back and listed several criteria that were her scorecard. And I said, well, great, rate rate that house on those criteria. And she did, and and it came out a B. <laughs> and she said, well, you know what? I, I come to think of it, I don't really think I want that house. And I said, okay, well, good. So you can you can use a scorecard for picking anything. So in the context of hiring, what a scorecard is, is, it's like a blueprint for what a performance actually means in a role. And I'll tell you the hardest part of writing a scorecard is to do the real thinking about what matters. So if you're running a uh, sales organization of tech products in the southeast region of the U.S., and, and the whole name of the game uh, is to penetrate new accounts, then you write your scorecard to be all about penetrating new accounts. If, however, you're, I don't know, running a, a medical processing company in the Northwest, and the goal is all about efficiency and speed, well then you, know, you gotta write the scorecard to capture the metrics that, that relate to efficiency and speed. So every, every job's different, every you know, company's different, every scorecard should be different to really reflect I like to say what's hard and important about that role. And then if you just define the criteria of the outcomes, the actual results you expect, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to hire the right people versus doing it the more common way, which is to just write a plain old job description, which just has like a bunch of generic stuff in there. So with scorecard, Jim, I'd say being very specific, very specific about what, what are the numbers what are the success outcomes that, that reflect what A performance looks like? That's, that's the key or the trick to writing a scorecard effectively.
0: On our program today, we have Jeff Smart, co-author of the New York Times bestselling book, Who? The A Method for Hiring. In addition to Jeff sharing his expertise on hiring A players, you can find other experts that have shared their wisdom with us here on BizTalk. Those are available as podcasts on our website and cover business topics in the areas of recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management and personal development. You can download these podcasts from our website dot com. that's b i z talk com. Jeff, when we left off, we were talking about using a scorecard. So let's make that real world for a second. I don't know, pick pick a role in a company. It could be an accountant, could be a sure. salesperson, could be a sales manager. Let's do sales
1: manager. Sure. for for a garbage Hauling company that we worked with, um, so before they implemented the who approach, their same same store sales, if you will, were slightly declining, and the question was how to make the same store sales go up. And the store is defined by like a business unit. There are like 70 business units in this company. Company hauls garbage, and the question is how do we, you know, how do we do more sales per location? And so I, we got in there, and what our consultants discovered was. All their, they didn't have scorecards for sales managers for each of these locations. What they had was just a list of duties. Duties include uh, going on sales calls, converting corporate clients, converting residential clients. There were no numbers. There were no thresholds. There were no. There weren't real goals. These were just like activities. And you know how, you know, how when you confuse activity with results, that's a that's a bad thing in business. And so what we did is we read all their scorecards to rather than reflect the inputs, you know, like. You know, going on sales calls or managing—or this is my f- favorite bad job description language, which is um, the supporting. This role supports sales efforts in this region. Supports sales efforts in this region. What does that even mean, right? So instead, we really sharpened up those scorecards and say, hey, look, um, sales managers in these different roles. Let's say usually a scorecard has five or six outcomes on there. So I'll just make it up for here. Uh, but it's basically, it would say something like increase revenue in this region by 10% per year, uh, increase conversion rates from 52% to 85% within one year. Th- these are outcomes, these are measurable outcomes. And if you start to set the bar in a certain way, then it makes it clear whether your candidates can hit that bar or not. Whereas if you just leave your job vague, Job description that doesn't really set uh, a bar; it makes it much harder to hire
0: people. So the advantage of the scorecard really is what
1: specificity of what success looks like, and then it's the litmus test that you put against the various candidates. So, for example, like in the garbage case, if I had a candidate who hadn't grown same store sales ten percent, and I had other candidates who had, well, it'd be it'd be a smarter thing to to hire the candidates who grew same store sales. 10%. 10%. And, and you know, it sounds really obvious. I mean, like, what could be more obvious than literally defining success before you go about trying to hire someone? But I'd say, you know, less than 5% of the time, hiring managers that I see have clarified what the success litmus test is, what the criteria are. And that, that's what we call a scorecard.
0: Yeah, because I can imagine then with the scorecard, you're able to keep drilling deeper and deeper into the interview to figure out if the person can produce the outcomes.
1: You bet. Yeah, and what and how are great questions uh, when we when we talk about the, the third step, the select step. Uh, what 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 did the candidate accomplish, and how did they accomplish it? You can really then get at you know what the results were that they have achieved in their career, and then you could you know measure that up against the scorecard to see whether they're they're at or above threshold.
0: Well, let's jump to that for just a second since you brought it up. Yeah, uh, the third S is select, yep. and you talk about having uh, four interviews. Yep. Uh, for spotting A players. At a very high level, what's the four?
1: Yeah, very high level. Your screening interview in the book is the first interview that you do when you, when you talk to someone for the first time. And what, and what you're really trying to do there is not just figure out if there's chemistry, which is the way a lot of people interview. Ooh, do I like this person? You know, Do they follow the same sports teams that I follow? That kind of thing. Like That's a very biased bad way to spend your first interview. Instead, your first interview should be trying to understand what their career goals are, trying to understand what their strengths are and get examples of their strengths, trying to understand what their weaknesses are and get examples, trying to understand you know, what, how their bosses have rated their performance in their last few jobs. If you get that kind of rich data in the, in the screening interview, you can, you can gong the people who aren't a good fit right away uh, and, and advance the people who are. So the, the whole goal of the screening interview is, is to really cut to the chase and get some data that allow you to decide who to spend more time with or not. A lot of people kind of shortchange the screening interview, and then they end up bringing in lots of candidates into the office, and they're wasting everybody's time. So uh, the screening interview is designed to to weed out the wrong people quickly.
0: The screening one seems to make sense. Yep. Uh, what's another interview we should be doing?
1: All right. So the most important interview you should be doing, uh, we call the WHO interview, which is in, our, in the Who book, we also refer to it as the top-grading interview, but there are a couple versions of that. So to, we, the one in our Who book is called the Who interview. And this is basically a really deep dive to understand someone's whole career life. And so, like, if I'm doing a Who interview with you, Jim, this is after you've already passed screening interviews, and now let's say I'm hiring you for a VP of sales role, maybe there are just two or three other finalists, and so this is, a, this is a really fun interview. In fact, actually, I did research during my PhD. dissertation was like on this topic. So I did a, a Ph.D. in psychology, I studied hiring methods, and, and I, did, I did a huge study and identified elements of, of what make for a good interview, and, and all of those elements are in this who interview. So the way it works, it sounds really simple, but basically, I just ask you for about five or 10 minutes to tell me about your early years of education your highlights and accomplishments, your low points, you know, grades. Just start, we start the conversation, and we're talking about your early years. And I'm looking for threads or themes of things you're doing well. And for a sales role, I'm looking for, well, were you selling anything? Were you selling it well? Oh, yeah, of all the, uh, you know, uh, kids selling chocolate bars for your high school fundraiser, you were number one. Okay, you know, it's it's interesting to start a pattern of understanding someone. And then for each of their jobs, you ask them, five really simple questions. You ask them, what were you hired to do? What did you accomplish in that job? What were low points or mistakes you made in that job? Fourth, who did you work with? You know, What was your boss's name? What would they say it was like working with you? That kind of thing. And then why'd you leave? The why'd you leave question is really interesting because it, if someone performed well, the story around why they left is usually pretty Positive, like hey, I performed well. Uh, one of my old bosses hired me away, or one of my customers gave me an offer, or something that sounds like they got pulled to something better. And and the opposite of getting pulled to something better is if someone gets pushed, like pushed out of their job. So when we ask, hey, why would you leave your job? People sometimes aren't super forthcoming about it, and so you have to dig and probe a little bit. Uh, but but once you really understand why they left their various jobs, it, it gives you a clue of you know is this person. a a a consistent high performer in their jobs or are they are they consistently getting pushed out of their jobs interesting yeah
0: mentioned this the other day that everybody has a story to tell just ask them and they'll tell you the story and then like you said listen for the pattern listen for the themes yes yeah people have a theme of success and people have a theme of mediocrity and people have a theme of failure
1: I really believe that's true. And if you don't know the theme of success or theme of failure, I think it's really hard to hire someone well. But if you can dig down, use these interviews to really understand what's, what's lying under the surface, uh, it's kind of like an iceberg, right, where, where uh, only 10% of it is above sea right. level and 90% of it's below. So you get below the sea level, you really see what the themes are that explain their success or failure, and then you match that up against your job with your scorecard, and, and it makes it a, a heck of a lot easier to see who the good matches are and the bad matches.
0: On our program is Jeff Smart, co-author of the New York Times bestselling book, Who? The A Method for Hiring. Jeff, another chapter in your book, you talk about sourcing. Yep. In other words, generating a flow of A players. And boy, if you could just get that one right. Yeah. (laughs) If we just had nothing but A candidates in front of us, we would not need the rest of this stuff, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's actually the most common question I get when I'm doing keynote speeches or or working with, with clients is a source step, which is like, hey, Jeff, how do we generate a flow of great candidates? Like, where, where do they come from? And so, for, for because we've always been asked that question, when we did the research for the Who book, I made a point of talking, of, of interviewing 100 really successful business leaders. And, and actually, I set a really audacious goal. I wanted to interview 10 self-made billionaire entrepreneurs, people who have like really made it in business and Fortune 500 CEOs, big companies, small companies, and I want to ask them, how, do you, how did you hire your best talent throughout your career? Where did you find your best talent? So I actually got over 20 billionaires to talk to me for the Who book. So in that, you'll see original, original advice from 20 billionaires that won't appear anywhere else. And this one question is the one that I thought was most interesting, where I just asked them all, where did you, where did you hire your best talent? How did you source talent? And, and only two interesting things came out consistently from these people. The first one is, and I was really surprised by this. Uh, the tide for the best place that they found their talent was through in, internal employee referral programs. Okay, so this is a little weird. I was like, "What?" And sure enough, uh, the vast majority of these super successful business people said that they they'd pay recruiting bounties. Right. So, like, if you find an employee and recruit them in, they, uh, the one the one employee gets a thousand bucks or four thousand bucks as a recruit a recruiting bounty for bringing in talent. And and it was, what was surprising to me is just how consistently present this best practice was among these really successful people. And when I do talks, like I gave a talk to a thousand people a couple of weeks ago, I said, hey, who here in the audience gives a referral bounty or a recruiting bounty a bonus to your employees? And only about 10%, maybe 15% of the audience did. And I, I put a mic out in the audience and said, okay, well, I, you know, we're not planting any stories to your guys like, you know, you tell me is it successful or not successful, and they're all swearing by it. So people are saying this is like the best money you can spend in business is to incent your current A players to recruit more A players. So that's Absolutely. One, yeah, one, makes sense, right? It makes yeah. perfect sense. I, just, I hadn't really thought of that before, uh, before doing that study. The, the second way that these guys and gals source their talent is through personally calling their networks. Not just LinkedIn, not just Facebook, not just using the job postings or, you know, what used to be newspaper classified ads. They didn't do it that way. Um, They would make what I call the list of 10. So if they're hiring a key role, they'd make a list of 10 referral sources, people outside they knew who probably were one degree of separation from really good candidates in that area. So, like, for example, when I was hiring a CFO for my own company, I made a list of 10 people I knew. People in finance, lawyers, um, people from grad school, people people I knew who probably had access to really good CFO talent. And I just called them all up and said, hey, who's the very best CFO you know for a small company my size? And um, and, I, and we immediately generated a really great list of referral re- referred candidates. And we, we hired Ron, who's been great. He's been with me 12 years. So um, yeah, I'd say that one resonated. Like, you know, obviously you working your network and getting referrals Outside, that one was pretty pretty obvious. But the first one, which is uh, offering your employees a referral bounty, that one was uh, unexpected.
0: And also, if I add something on that referral bounty, Please. we've had um, companies implement that. And they, and they say, that's great. How do you pay that out? Well, you know, yeah, if... Uh, we interview them and we hire them and they stay with us X amount of months. Then we pay your employee. I said, no. He <laughs> said, why don't you pay them for getting you a really good name? There you go. And then why don't you pay them more when the person is there on the anniversary? I said, yeah. you really want to get this going. So yep. the people even get the referral. They want to be stingy on the money side of things. It's like, well, you're you're dumping thousands of dollars on mishires out the door, Yeah. but you're Paying pennies for good referrals from your good employees. Um, it's, like,
1: it's like being a uh, penny wise and pound.
0: Slash. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're going to do that, pay it.
1: <laughs> absolutely. It's great. It's great return on investment. Um, one guy, Paul Tudor Jones, this uh, investment industry entrepreneur guy, he told me that he had a four times better return on investment for internal referral generated employees than than outside people who came in. And I, I challenged him on that. I said, well, what do you mean it's four times better? He said, yeah, we studied it over the last 10 years. People who came through the employee referral program, um, it, it costs half as much to hire them. If you take into account like recruiting costs and all the other costs associated with hiring people, it costs half as much to hire them. And these people, um, the retention rate was twice as good. So it costs half as much, and the people you know, at least stayed twice as long. He he gave it a a 4X better return on investment for internal referrals versus, uh, you know, strangers coming in from the outside.
0: One chapter in your book, the other S is sell. Yep. And um, what I've noticed is you get a qualified candidate in front of you and you make them a job offer. Almost without exception, they have at least two offers pending in the wings. Because yep. they've, they've interviewed somewhere else and people have their process. By the time you make an offer, someone is probably a day or two behind you yep. and they make their offer and maybe you lose a candidate because of that. Yep. And what I see missing is, you exactly point out, that people fail to sell yeah. the candidate. And we did all the screening, we did all the interviewing, and it's like, well, okay, here's the offer. Come join us. <laughs> a two-part question. Sure. Favorite method of selling? And then B. When should you start selling yep,
1: okay, so f- my favorite method for selling I, we call fit so um in the who book, we point out there are like five checklist items that really matter in, in selling your candidates. so as you point out, you know you put all this work into finding great candidates, a lot of managers make the mistake of just just quitting once they decide they they want to give someone an offer and they think that's it that's the end of the process well, the end of the it's you know it's not over till it's over so you got to sell the people on on saying yes so my favorite of the five we call them the 5 Fs of selling my favorite is called fit so what you do is you, you basically sit down with the candidate and you say hey look you show them the scorecard with their with their scores filled out so hey jim look you know here are the things that you told us you're interested in doing x y z here are the things you're really good at and look on the scorecard the the things you get to do here are are these things you're good at? Look at how well your talents and interests fit this this role and this culture. So by selling fit, that, that one seems to work the best. Um, people want to go somewhere where their talents and their interests are gonna, going to match. The other four checklist things are family, freedom, fortune, and fun. Family just means check in with these people's significant others. They're, they're, they have a girlfriend, they have a boyfriend, they have you know, a spouse. Hey, uh, let's make sure the spouse is on board with the person leaving their employer and coming to your company. I've made I've made that mistake as an entrepreneur in years past, where like this one time we sent this guy champagne because he was going on his honeymoon with his with his fiance and they just got married and they're they're married now. And these people, Jim, they drank our champagne on their honeymoon, and then they came back and and this guy Dave told me that he didn't in fact wanna come work at my company because his his new wife decided she wanted him to stay at the cushy corporate job he was he was currently at. So we lost him because I was too dumb to make sure that the fiance was on board. So anyway, that's what family means. Freedom, fortune and fun are just what they sound like. Freedom a lot of everyone most people these days want to have some freedom at work and, and they don't want to be overly micromanaged. Um, Fortune just means let people know how much money they're likely to make and be specific. It doesn't have to be a huge number, but it should be pretty specific. So don't BS people and tell them they're going to make more than they will or be vague. People want to take a job and know they can pay the mortgage. And then uh, then fun is just whatever is fun about your company and the work. Just emphasize that fit. But those are roughly in order of what I think matters most to least, fit, family, freedom, fortune, and
0: fun. Second part, when do you start selling?
1: In, in the Who book, we say that there are five waves of selling, like different parts of the hiring process that matter. To answer your question directly, you start selling the very first second you talk to the person for the first time. And you'd sell not by telling them how great your company is. That's a rookie mistake right there. Jim, let me tell you on how great my company is. Instead, you sell by understanding their needs first. That's in the screening interview. The very first question is, tell me about your career goals. So you're actually selling them not on how great your company is, but rather you're selling them by first seeking to understand, sort of like the uh, Stephen Covey seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. And and in that, you're building rapport, and rapport, as you know, as a sales expert, is is key to building trust, which is key to getting the sale. So, yeah, the sales process starts right from second one when you get on the phone with the screening interview.
0: Yeah. Uh, can I get an amen on that? Amen, brother. Well, it's the... The number one feedback our recruiters get when we recruit for companies Mm -hmm. from candidates is you're the first recruiter who's ever asked me these questions. And the questions are, well, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What's ideal? (laughs) He says, they're always pitching me jobs. I said, well, how can we pitch you a job if we don't know what you want? Exactly. Uh, And again, it sounds simple. But at the same time, we tend to get caught up in the process or we tend to have urgency to get people hired. We want to get right to the task and we forget the people side of things. You bet. And, again, it's interesting if you'll just ask the questions, they will tell you what they want. And sometimes what they want doesn't match up with what your job is, even though they applied for it.
1: it exactly. I had a Navy SEAL, decorated Navy SEAL uh
0: a pretty motivated guy, probably. Motivated
1: huh? guy. <laughs> committed. School graduate. Really talented on paper guy. And I asked him, what do you really want? And I was trying to recruit him for my company. My company is a consulting firm. And what he really told me he liked was being in charge of a group of people, um, calling the shots, executing, following through, you know, getting, getting, completing tasks, uh, operating with a high level of discipline. He liked leading large teams. and I, And I'm like, Dude, everything you just said, you're not going to get at GH, at GH Smart. We work in small teams, not big teams. We're in the advisory business, not in the, you know, take charge, take the hill, and and, and actually operate things. I think you'd hate it here. I have great respect for you, but I don't think this is for you. As it, as it turns out, this guy ended up being, becoming a friend of mine, and so – That's, a, I think, a fallacy in the hiring process, which is automatically, no matter what, sell them on why they should join your company. Hogwash. Understand what what their their wants and needs are first. That's the, the best thing you could do to serve their interests and yours.
0: Now back to my other question. Yes. Biggest misconception about hiring today is what?
1: Yeah, let's think about this. The biggest misconception about hiring today is that you should hire with your gut. So what's wrong with hiring with your gut? Okay, What's what's wrong with hiring with your gut is it doesn't work. If it worked, I'd, I'd say do it. But I'm here to tell you, 20 years ago, I did my PhD research that suggested a half century of research in this field of psychology, industrial psychology, suggests that gut field-based hiring is horribly biased, completely devoid of data and facts, um, and you know gets you in hot water a lot. So Bottom line is, if you if you get the advice, yeah, hire with your gut feel. Um, that just it just doesn't work. So that's the biggest misconception. But somehow people feel like they should. In, in fact, in, in the Who book, we call this the art critic approach to hiring, where you can picture like an art art critic like coming along to a painting and holding up their thumb and kind of looking at the painting and getting like a quick gut feel to do a quick appraisal. You know, people who think they can. Hire people the same way. Oh, or like the uh, definition of pornography that the that the Supreme Court had. You know it when you see it. Right. Oh, I. How do you spot talent? Oh, I just know it when I see it. I just use my gut feel. Oh, really? How well does that work for you? You know, oh, not so well. <laughs> yeah, 50% hiring success rate. So yeah, with gut feel and this art critic approach, you you can expect a 50% hiring success rate. And in contrast to that, if you follow the four S steps that you mentioned, scorecard source, select, and sell, you'll achieve a 90% hiring success rate. And the difference between getting it right half the time and getting it right 90% of the time is the difference between success and wealth creation and having more time, you know, versus having to play catch-up and manage a lot of problems that, that having the wrong people on your team causes.
0: Our guest is Jeff Smart. We're talking about hiring A players Jeff, if there was one piece of advice that you would give a company president, it would be what?
1: One piece of advice I'd give a company president about hiring today uh, is to buy my two books, Who and Power Score. Both of them together give you the full solution to like how to actually hire, onboard, and run your team at full power. But like, if you're to say like in these two books, is if there's like the best piece of advice. Let's see here. The best piece of advice about hiring talented teams is that discipline on the front end saves you a lot of time, money, and hassle on the back end. And if people don't buy that, that's why they 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 kind of underinvest in hiring on the front end, and then they 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 have to pay pay the piper on the back end when they have a bunch of the wrong people around. So I, I guess the big insight is is if you dial up the discipline and put a, just a smidge more time and energy into getting hiring right on the front end, it'll just pay off in spades on the back end. I've seen that happen literally thousands of times where people move from half-baking their hiring process and then, and then suffering to then we just sharpen them up, get them to follow the four steps, and, uh, and by bringing in a disciplined structured process, their hiring success rate always goes up and they're always thankful that they, that they did that. Um, so basically, just like folks, it's possible with a little discipline and structure, you can radically increase your hiring success rate.
0: You mentioned it, PowerScore. Yes,
1: PowerScore. So if who is the top-selling book on how to hire your team? PowerScore is like the sequel. It's a book about how to run your team at full power. It's based on studying 3,052 teams and looking for threads or themes of what success and failure um, looks like, and we found we actually found three things that matter the most in predicting the success of a
0: team. Which are oh, my goodness. <laughs> you, you want me to reveal the, the formula? We can, no, so, no, we need to reveal the formula. No,
1: I'll, I'll reveal it. I, I, I got you, man. This is fine. Uh, yeah, that the subtitle of the book, Power Score, is Your Formula for Leadership Success. So, we I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you what the formula is. So, the formula is P, W, and R. So of all things that you can look at that would describe teams, the three things that appear to matter the most are P, which is, does this team have the right priorities? Does it actually have priorities? Has it written its priorities? Does it have too many priorities? Is it too few priorities? But basically, priorities was one of the three things that matters in predicting a team's performance. So priorities is the P. Oh, yeah, by the way, PW and R spell power. That's where the title comes from, power, PWR. That is the that is the formula. So W um, stands for who is on the team. So that one is, is uh, basically self-evident. It's who's on the team. You know, the talent of the team radically affects the performance of it. And then the R is relationships. Do we have the, the right relationships? And that's uh, it's sort of a set of best practices around focusing on results and accountability and, and, and transparency and that kind of thing. So P, priorities, W, who are relationships. Companies that are teams that were in the top decile on those three areas versus the bottom decile on those three areas, the top decile teams on, on PW and R were 20 times more likely to be successful than teams that were in the bottom decile on those three variables. So lots of things don't matter in predicting a team's performance. These three things matter the
0: most. Jeff, thanks for being on our program.
1: Jim, you are kind. It's been fun. Enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much.
0: This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople Contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.